Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 393 with Ari Mizell. Ari is all about less doing and optimizing and automating and outsourcing. So you'll learn one, how working at your peak time makes you many times more effective. Two, the power of the 22nd rule. And three, why you should consider using virtual assistants. So if you'd like to take a look at the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, you'll find that on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F393. And if you're visiting awesomeatyourjob.com, I encourage you to check out some of our nifty resources. One of the newest and niftiest of resources is that extra stuff in the podcast dropdown bit of the navigation bar over at awesomeatyourjob.com. So now you can see the favorite episodes Every episode linked by topic and competency covered and a grand index of every gold nugget. If you are a gold nugget subscriber to get the summary insights from the guests in quick email tidbits. All that good new stuff is over at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's Ari's story. Ari Mizell is the best-selling author of The Art of Less Doing and The Replaceable Founder. He is a self-described overwhelmologist whose insights into personal and professional productivity have earned them the title of the guru's guru. He can be heard on the award-winning Less Doing podcast, on international stages, speaking to thought leaders and influencers, or to those who prefer the written word, Ari's blog posts are up on Medium to offer immediate and actionable advice to entrepreneurs who are seeking replaceability. Big thanks to Ari for sharing his wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Ari, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Pete. It's good to talk to you again. Oh, yeah. Well, I think we're going to get into so much good stuff. I am all about less doing. But first, I want to get your take on what's the story behind you being on the cover of a Rage Against the Machine album? Oh, yeah. It's the 20th anniversary of that. It's funny. Uh, It's been coming up a lot lately. So the uh, Evil Empire album from Rage Against the Machine, I was 11 years old. And Mel Ramos, who's a, a famous artist, and was a friend of my father's who's an art dealer, uh, made that painting for me as a birthday present when I was 11. And the band saw it a few years later in one of his books, and they just liked it. And uh, they used it for the cover. I never met the band. I was never a fan of the band. <laughs> and um, it was, uh, I had a billboard of my face in Times Square when I was 15 years old. <laughs> well, check you out. Well, and your fame has grown since then. Yes, clearly. And I, I think it all sounds back to that very moment. So. <laughs> well, it's starting early. That's good. 
Can you give us a little bit of a quick background on your company, Less Doing? What are you all about? So I empower entrepreneurs to become more replaceable. That's what I do. Uh, and, and that means a lot of different things, a lot of different people. But the ones that get excited by that are the ones that I usually do the best with. And essentially, we're teaching people how to optimize, automate, and outsource everything in their businesses in order to be more effective. And we do that through a number of systems that we teach and processes and methods. But essentially, we teach people to be more effective. Mm-hmm. Well, we love effectiveness here. And uh, most of our listeners are not entrepreneurs, but I definitely think that there are some applicable tidbits. Now, you unpack a number of these in your book called The Art of Less Doing. Is there a unique spin that the book takes? Yes. So originally when I got into this sort of world, the focus was on individual productivity for the most part. And I was helping individuals be as effective as possible. And over the last several years, this has developed into much more of a business methodology for growing faster with less pain, basically. So the replaceable founder really takes that framework of optimized automated outsource and applies it to businesses. And the, uh, the goal is to make people replaceable. The reason we do that is so that they can have more focus, freedom, and flexibility. And the way that we do that is through looking at the way that they communicate, the way that they manage and, and execute processes, and the way that they have their project management system set up. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So I like your alliteration here. You've also got the three Ds. What are those? Uh, that's for email and decision-making in general, which is to deal with it, delete it, or defer it. Yeah. Well, tell us, you know, how do we navigate? When is it best to choose to do versus to delegate to defer? So we use email to teach the concept, but uh, it's not about email. The email problem for most people is not an actual email problem. It's a decision-making problem. So the first thing here is to understand that the three of them are there because those are the only three choices that you should have to make. Uh, most people treat not just email, but email, but decisions in general, as if it's like a unique opportunity to make a thousand different decisions every time. And it's, it's not. So if you limit yourself in your choices to three, and you can say is deleting is saying no, dealing with it means that you can deal with it right now, uh, which could include delegating it. So you get in that sort of habit as well. And the third D is to defer, which is the most interesting, because that's really taking into account how you use your time and when you're best at different things. And every one of us has a different time and sometimes place where we do different kinds of activities better, such as uh, podcast interviews, for example. You would not have gotten this energy from me a couple hours ago, which is why I try not to schedule podcast interviews before noon my time. Something I've learned about myself. Not to mention that my peak time, which is a period of the time when any one of us is 90, sorry, two to 100 times more effective than any other time of the day, that peak time for me is usually between 10 and noon. Um, I can't do creative work before eight o'clock at night because there's just too much going on in my head and I can't write or be really creative. So I, I, knowing that is really powerful because you can make an active decision. You're not procrastinating. You're saying, no, I'm going to do this more effectively at this time. So that's when I want to look at it. Oh, yeah, I really like that. And we had Dr. Michael Bruce on the show talking about the power of when yeah. and just some fascinating stuff associated with circadian rhythms and there's actual biochemical things going on in your body at somewhat predictable regular times that point you to different states that let you be excellent at different sorts of tasks. So can you lay it on us again? What are your times and what are the capabilities you find you have uniquely available at those times? So uh, again, for me, it's uh, the peak time for me is 10 to noon. And when you say peak, you just mean I am unstoppably like energetic or what's peak mean for you? So the research basically says that for every person is different. And there's this time of the day that's usually 90 minutes. 
and you are two to 100 times more effective in that period. And what they mean when they talk about effectiveness in that situation is that you're most able to easily drop into a flow state. Okay. So flow state for most people that generally equates to a dilation of time. So if you've ever found yourself in an activity where, you know, it, it felt like minutes had gone by, but it was an hour or two, that's a flow state. And we want that because our brain just, you know, is firing on all synapses in that moment. So my peak time is between 10 and noon. And in theory, I should be using that time for my highest and best use, which in my case is usually coming up with content or uh, really interesting problem solving for uh, whatever the problem might be. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that I'm not good on the phone or podcast before noon. That's just something I've learned about myself. And it's not because I'm not a morning person, but maybe it just takes me a little while to sort of get in that mood or that mode. Uh, creatively, I can't do creative work before eight o'clock at night because there, there's a lot going on in my house, first of all. But also we tend to be more creative when we're tired because we're less likely to sort of shoot down the bad ideas and things can flow a little more freely. But it's different for every person. Some people, their peak time could be five in the morning. I've seen that. Some people, it's 11 o'clock at night. And that's when they do their best, best, best. Uh, we all work out at different times where we should. Uh, we eat at different times. And a lot of that you can see in sort of in Dr. Bruce's work. He's been on my podcast three times because he's so awesome. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people, it's like, oh, that's interesting. But you really can dial it in and use that timing to your advantage. Oh, I'm right with you there. So the peak then is you're most likely to drop into a flow state and the creativity is a different animal than the peak. Right, right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay, very good. So that's nice. And I guess we're already digging into a little bit. So you talk about optimizing, automating and outsourcing. And one of the components of optimizing is knowing thyself. And we're already talking about some knowing thyself in terms of the times that you're best for different sorts of, of activities. Are there any other key parameters you really recommend folks zero in on knowing thyself themselves? You know, well, uh, sleep, I think, is another one, too. You know, not everybody needs to sleep like eight hours a night in one block. <laughs> and uh, I mean, many people should. But not everybody, not everybody needs to, and that's not the optimal thing for everybody. Uh, in fact, if you look back at like old research, and well, not old, even new research now on this, there, the natural pattern of human sleep seemed to be these sort of two different bulk sleeps, where you got like this core amount of sleep, and then you'd wake up for a little while in the middle of the night and do things, and then go back to sleep for what was then became known as beauty sleep. Right. So. Uh, Understanding that just because the rest of the, your team or your environment or your friends or family, whatever, might be on a nine to five work schedule and a you know ten to six or ten to seven sleep schedule, doesn't mean that that's what you should be doing. Mm-hmm. Or oh, that's great. So get clear on your real sleep needs and what's optimal for you, and not just sort of caving to the norms around you. It's so individual. It's so so individual. That's the big thing. Like understand that you can figure it out. Okay, very good. Any other knowing thyself things to know? Uh, I think a lot of people are just generally unaware of how they use their time and their space and their resources and their money and like everything. So there's usually a huge benefit in just tracking sort of anything that we do. And you can track things like with rescue time, you can track how you're using your computer or your Apple watch and see how you're moving around or not. And those kind, that kind of information can be very powerful if you just take the data that you're producing all day, every day and actually look at it. Mm-hmm. Well, could you give us an example of, let's say, Apple Watch or Fitbit, you're looking at your steps or movement data and how that can inform a useful decision? Uh, So one thing I would say is just challenging what you might inherently think you know about yourself. So there's a lot of people who, when when they use these tools, they can guess the number of steps they've taken in a day and they're probably pretty accurate. Most people, before they do that kind of thing, are very 
they're usually pretty off. You know, somebody might think that they were on their feet for 10 hours, turns out they're only on their feet for two hours. Or they think that they walked five miles, but they didn't even walk a mile. And that in itself, being aware of the unawareness, I think, is huge and the discrepancies. Because once you get into this and you sort of get to know your body and you sort of inherently understand these things a little bit better, we can make better decisions. Or we can even understand when we shouldn't be making decisions. Because if we're tired or, you know, not in a good place to mentally do things, a lot of people just sort of power through it and then make bad choices. And then those sort of build on each other. That's true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Can you recall a particular bad choice you made when you were tired or poorly resourced? I mean, uh, a lot of it usually comes out with my wife and you know, <laughs> arguments that I wouldn't normally have. But there, uh, it's funny, actually. I think about a month ago, my wife and I had a fairly aggressive argument. And it was to the it was so it was so out of the norm that she actually stopped. And she's like, you're acting like one of the children right now. Like you, you should go take a nap. And I can usually operate on pretty low amount of sleep, but this was like a bad few days for some reason. I stopped and I realized I was acting like a toddler. Yeah. Yeah. That's well said. Well, cool. So that's a little bit about knowing thyself. Can you dig into a bit of the concept of the external brain? What is it and how should we tap into that power? So for the external brain is the idea that we really can't use our brains the way that we think we can. Uh, the human brain is really, really bad at holding on to information. It's great at coming up with it, but really not so good at keeping it. And we try to use working memory for something that it really isn't, which is long-term storage. So if we have systems in place, simple systems, and when I say systems, it's important because a lot of people have tools or methods maybe or gadgets, but a lot of people lack systems. So if you have a system in place to actually track your ideas, capture your ideas and put them in a place where not only you can like save them, but actually act on them later that makes life a lot less stressful and a lot more effective. Oh, yeah. I'm so with you there. And, and I'm thinking back to David Allen, episode 15 here for us. And he said it very well. I might not get it perfect, but he says your brain is for having ideas, not for holding them or for remembering them. And right. that's been so huge for me is getting it out of my head and elsewhere. Personally, I love OmniFocus for like the actionable things. Like someone said, oh, this is a great restaurant. This is a great podcast. They should check out this church or place to go. I was like, oh, cool, I will. And so it's sort of like all those, you know, rich little life ideas don't float away. You know, they land somewhere, they can be acted upon. And sometimes a year plus later, like, oh, I am going to watch that movie someone recommended a year ago. And I'm so glad I had that recommendation ready to be accessed. So I dig OmniFocus for that and Evernote for more like more words, basically, in terms of, you know, maybe paragraphs plus. What do you dig for your external brain? Trello. Trello. Yeah, so I use Trello. Uh, I was a really big Evernote user for a long time, but I just, I, I sort of fell away from it because with Trello, it's more speaking to that idea of having a system because, so I might capture things all day long from various sources, whether it's a voice note to my Amazon Echo device or to Siri or uh, a picture of something or a screenshot or a forward email, any of those things. And they all go to one place. They all go to one list in Trello as an individual card, each one. And then at the end of the day, it's one of my like sort of nightly routines is that I look at that list and I can sort those ideas into various places. So one might be for someone on my team to deal with. One might be for my wife to look at. One might be for me to read later, whatever it might be. But that sorting process is very important to me. And it's, you can't really do that in something like Evernote. Uh, with Trello, you have that sort of visual idea of like moving things around. And it feels very congruent for me. Mm -hmm. Well, that's intriguing. So 
Can you unpack for us the categories? So they start by getting dumped into a singular kind of inbox, you know, collection bin. And then they go to, hey, read this later. They go to teammate or wife or another person. What are the other kind of categories that it might fall into? Uh, let me think. I, it could be assigned to a virtual assistant. That's certainly one. It could be something that I want to talk about in one of my webinars. That would be like, I do a Tech Talk Tuesday webinar. So it could go to that. There's not too many. That's the thing is you don't want to have too many different options. Mm-hmm. Well, and then I'm wondering, like over time, I imagine if you're anything like me, you have way more ideas that you're excited about than you can take action upon. Let's talk about some of the automate components, the decision matrix. What is that? And in particular, how might you apply it to, hey, do I do this or do I not do this? Uh, well, the decision matrix is a 3Ds, right? So uh, that with with the with saying no, for example, there's just a lot more things that we should say no to. If anything, for some people, it needs to be the default is to say no. You know, if it's not a heck yes, then it's a heck no kind of a thing. Oh, thank you for the children. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to the <All> show. Right. <laughs> um, so that's one thing. Um, with the deal with it, it's like it, the, dealing with it means you can deal with it right now, right? Like in the next three minutes. And if you can't, and, and, and in dealing with it right now, that could include delegating it. But if you can't do that right now, and you can't say no, then you have to defer it. And at that point, you pick a more optimal time for you to deal with it. So what's the point of it is you don't have to put too much thought into like what, when, and why. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to hear then when it comes to the heck yes and heck no, it sounds like that's kind of a visceral, your whole person is resonating with something is what lands you at a heck yes. Or do you have a more systematic approach by which you are determining, yes, I shall pursue that and no, I shall not pursue the other thing? I mean, one is, you know, just understanding your resources, right? Knowing like if something's even possible, um, which part of that comes honestly from having that clarity of thought that comes from having a system like this. Mm-hmm. Sounds very circular, but it's true. So that's the big one. Uh, but the other one is also having the places to sort of delegate it to that can possibly deal with it. So what I mean by that is like I have a, a number of virtual assistants. I have people on my team that I might think it's a yes, but I can. I, I have a system in place to sort of send it over to one of them to then validate that idea or at least move it a little bit farther down the field. Mm-hmm. Okay, understood. Well, and so you've also got a concept called set it and forget it. How does that work? Is this an infomercial? Yeah, uh, well, that's how I think through automation, right? So automation to me should be something that we should sort of set up and then it just runs in the background and we just don't have to think about it anymore. So that could be simple things like a trigger through an IFTTT, for example, that if something happens here, then do something else over here. Uh, or a process that is in place that people can go through a very detailed checklist, but it's still that, that that's how you should be thinking about automation. It's not something that you should have to monitor or watch. So a lot of there's I, I forgot who it is, actually, but somebody, a friend of mine describes automation as just something that meaning that he doesn't have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> automation means I don't have to do it, which is great because in a way that expands your mindset or how you're looking at it beyond that of software, robots. Automation can very much include people, people engaging processes, which include a higher low tech application there. If you don't have to do it, then that means it's been automated as far as you're concerned. Right, exactly. I dig it. Well, you mentioned IFTT, if this, then that. And you know, it's so funny. I've looked at this app several times and thinking, you know, that's just cool. You know, I'm sure I could probably find some use for it. And yet I haven't. Tell me, what are the most game-changingly useful things you're using IFTT for? So first of all, anytime you find yourself in a situation where you say every, 
right? So like every time this happens, every time a customer signs up, every time I book a podcast interview, every time I record an interview, every time I send a tweet, every time I hire or fire someone, that every should be a trigger to think about automation because typically that should mean it's something that's repetitive. So that's one way to think through it. All those things that we do on a regular basis, uh, on a repetitive basis, those are things that should be automated. I've automated hiring processes, um, content dissemination, even uh, using machine learning to to segment out potential customers from people on my email list. And all of those things have been done with automations. But at a really simple level, if you want to look at the things that you know you should be doing, but you're not doing them, that's a great case for automation. So like, oh, I, you know, I'm on Facebook. And I know I should be on Twitter and Instagram, but I'm not. Okay, well, you can automatically, at the very least, post all the things you put on one place into all the others. Um, you know, I know that I should have consistency so that if I change my Facebook my Facebook profile picture, I should probably change my Twitter one as well. But those are the kinds of things most people are just like, ah, I'm busy. So like, I, I'll just let that one go for now. So a lot of those things where you should be doing them and you're not, you can pick up the slack with automation. Mm-hmm. And when you say the things you should be doing, I think one of the first things that leap to mind could be exercise, meditation, and sort of things that are boosting your effectiveness across the board. You talk a bit about attaching a new habit to an existing one. How does this work? There are a lot of people who are way better about habit stuff than I am. My friend James Clear wrote Atomic Habits is one of the better ones, to be honest. But if we have a good habit in place already, like most of us probably brush our teeth, uh, then you and you want to bring in a new habit, then you can associate it with the existing habit. And that's like an anchoring effect that just makes it a lot easier to implement that habit. Um, the other thing that I like is generally if you make something 20 seconds easier or 20 seconds harder, you can make or break a habit that way. Mm. Well, most obvious example of that is if you want to drink more water throughout the day, have a big thing of water at your desk. You don't have to get up and go get water. And if you don't want to eat cookies, don't have cookies in your house. Well, that's nice. So 20 seconds easier or 20 seconds harder can make or break it. Well, then I'm wondering then if there's like a threshold number of seconds it's like beyond that, uh, it's just too much. Like if it's 35 seconds, okay, okay, fine. <laughs> but if it's 55, forget about it. it ain't going to happen. Yeah, all the research I've seen is around 20 seconds. Okay, well, good. That's helpful. Okay, cool. So that's a bit about the automation side. And now let's talk about the outsourcing. You mentioned virtual assistants a number of times. And so now most of our listeners are employees and not you know entrepreneurs or business owners. But I can tell you that as when I was an employee, I empl- used virtual assistants to great effect. So can you unpack a little bit behind this? Virtual assistants, what are they really, really good for? And where do people go wrong when they try to make good use of them? So yeah, even in your personal life, you should be using virtual assistants because it allows you to focus on what you do best and delegate the rest, as uh, has been said before. So uh, I mean, I use the VAs for over 100 hours a week in my personal life with my four kids and booking travel for me and my family and signing up for after school things and insurance. So like that, they're... You have to understand the 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 return on investment there is not necessarily something that you're going to be able to directly measure in dollars. It's just going to make your life better. Uh, the biggest problem with outsourcing in general is that people try to do it as a first step, and they can't. If you take an ineffective problem and you just hand it over to somebody else who has less information, less context than you, and expect some magical result, it's just not going to happen. So you have to start with the optimizing first, then the automating, then you can get to the outsourcing. Uh, Because also, if you give work to a human being that an automation could do, then you're effectively dehumanizing them, which doesn't work either. So we have to get better at communicating what our needs are. And a lot of that comes from going through and creating an optimized process to begin with. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point in terms of, I don't like this, uh, you handle it. <laughs> you know, often doesn't give you some great results on the other side. So tell me a little bit, when you talk about that optimization, what I found is some of the hardest thinking that I do, which has been just tremendously rewarding in terms of the return, has been, how do I take this gut feel type decision and turn that almost into like an algorithm that we can use? to get pretty far. So for example, so I get tons of incoming podcast guests pitches and it's like, oh my gosh. And so like one by one by one, I was sort of looking at them as like, this is nuts. But every once in a while, there were some really amazing people who came in. So I thought, well, I can't just ignore them all. So I really had to stop and think is like, I want guests who are relevant, who are authoritative and who are engaging. Now, what exactly do I mean by relevant? What exactly do I mean by authoritative? How would I assess or measure or evaluate that? And what exactly do I mean by engaging? And so now, it just goes in terms of the pitch lands and someone evaluates it per all of my parameters. And then I only look at a a small set of finalists. So that's been huge for me. Is there a particular way that you think about turning things from, okay, I can handle this until it's so darn clear that someone else can handle it repeatedly? Delegation is a muscle, right? So you need to practice it and do it and it becomes a lot more natural. So it's not even so much that there's an algorithm, but if you say like, there's only three choices in these situations and that's it, there's only three choices and you, you sort of create innovation by artificially restricting your options. All right. I dig. Can you give us an example of that in practice? I mean, that's one, the three options. Like if you say, you know, there's 20 different things you could do, but you say, no, you only have three options. That's, that's a good one. Uh, for me, if you artificially restrict time, well, you know, a lot of people say there's no time in the day. There's no time in the day. It's just not true. It's just that priorities are messed up and people don't have good systems. Uh, if I told somebody that works a nine to five job, what would you do if you could only work till four? You had to leave at four. For most people, that's pretty straightforward. Like that's, that's a, that's a fairly easy way to think through it. Like, oh, I would, I would skip lunch or I'd take one less meeting or something. But if you say the same person, what would you do if you could only work an hour a day? That's a very different question. And that creates a whole different, you, you need a totally different way of thinking to make that work. Yeah. You're already getting the wheels turning for me. It's like, I would have to figure out how to have other people do the things that I'm no longer doing <laughs> is what I would do at that hour. Kind of like wishing for more wishes, if you will. Yeah, right. right. That's good. Well, so when it comes to these virtual assistants, boy, how does someone find them? You know, where would you recommend they go? They research, they explore. What are some first steps there? So I've worked with over 20 different virtual assistant companies over the years, including owning one myself. All right. And in that time, my favorite one is a company called Magic. So people can go to less.do slash magic to get connected with them. And there's a reason for that. So there's dedicated assistants, which I think create just another bottleneck that you give to somebody else. Uh, And then this is what's more of like an on-demand model, meaning so Magic has 15 people Half of them are in the States, half of them are in the Philippines, and they work seamlessly as like one giant entity that really knows your preferences, understands what you need, and their response time is about 30 seconds, 24-7, and they can do all the different things. And they charge, I think it's like 51 cents per minute or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So, I mean, I've seen ads for Magic, but I'm like, okay, well, you know, I've used a lot myself. You know, are they any good? And it sounds like you've been around the block. You say, oh, yes, Pete, they are legit. Oh, yes, Pete. <laughs> That's valuable information. They are great. You know, one of my favorite places I've gone to is onlinejobs.ph, which is for hiring people in the Philippines. But you're going to do significantly more work up front in order to 
select that golden child, or I guess they're grownups, but you know, that winner among the sort of mediocre level talents. So that is a bit of work, but I found that on the back end, it's always so rewarding when you have those champions. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. You also talk about outsourcing your outsourcing. What does this mean? So um, I've had Magic manage other outsource providers. So, you know, in, in outsourcing, we generally have the generalists and we have specialists. So generalists would be like the, the admin sort of VA. And the specialist is more like the graphic designers and the programmers and stuff like that. So uh, I've had Magic manage them. Uh, in some cases. So then I'm not even having to deal with them and I can have sort of one point of contact. That's cool. Well, Ari, tell me anything else you really want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? Uh, no, I think that's, I mean, that's the main thing. I mean, we, we have a couple different programs uh, that we offer. We have something called the Replaceable Founder, which is a really great online course. And now a one-day intensive workshop that we actually offer here in New York City. So that's something that I would recommend people checking out at uh, replaceable.fr. Cool. All right. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Yeah, I sure can. So too long, but it's long enough that I can't remember it. So <laughs> it's a Robert Heinlein quote. Are you familiar with Robert Heinlein? I think I see his name in text in my mind's eye, but I don't recall anything more. He wrote Tunnel in the Sky. He wrote some, some of the he was sort of an Isaac Asimov contemporary. But anyway, he said, a human being should be able to change a diaper, plan an invasion, butcher a hog, con a ship, design a building, write a sonnet, balance accounts, build a wall, set a bone, comfort the dying, take orders, give orders, cooperate, act alone, solve equations, analyze a new problem, pitch manure, program a computer, cook a tasty meal, fight efficiently, die gallantly. Specialization is for insects. <laughs> All right. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research? Oh, that's a good one. So the Zigarnik effect, probably. So Bluma Zigarnik in the 1920s in Berlin was a Russian doctoral student. And she discovered this part of the brain that not only pushes us to complete the uncompleted, so it's like the voice in our heads that pushes us to complete the uncompleted, uh, but it's also the where we sort of process open-ended information. Huh. So we know that that part of the brain exists. And are there any kind of key implications for how we live our lives differently knowing that? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it's a really important understanding for us because we actually are more able to recall that kind of information than in any other setting. Hmm. That's cool. Thank you. And how about a favorite book? My favorite book ever is Emergency by Neil Strauss. Oh, that's fun. And how about a favorite tool, something that helps you be awesome at your job? That would be Trello, really Trello. All right. And a favorite habit? <laughs> My nightly sort of brain dump sorting of ideas that I do in Trello. Mm-hmm. It's huge for me. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with your folks that gets them, you know, nodding their heads and retweeting and telling you how brilliant you are? <laughs> uh, I, well, I, I hope so. Uh, I think that just this, this concept of being replaceable, it opens up a lot of ideas and philosophies and emotions for some people to understand that that's a really good thing. And it's not just about replacing yourself in terms of the functions that you do and bringing other people to do them and empowering them. It's also about replacing you to the sort of glory and comfort and happiness that you once had. Oh, that's clever. Replacing to place again yourself. That's right. That's profound. Thank you. Thank you. There we go. And uh, if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? They should go to lessdoing.com. And we've got this really cool little free mini course that people can go through. That's a bunch of videos that actually, if they go to less.do slash foundations, they can get into that. Mm -hmm. 
And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Seek replaceability in everything that you do. I mean, there, if you can't be replaced, you can't be promoted. Mm, beautiful. Well, Ari, this has been a real treat. Thank you for taking the time and good luck in all you're up to. Thank you. I really got such a kick out of Ari's take that the difference between 20 seconds, if it's 20 seconds easier or faster versus 20 seconds harder, it can make all the difference in terms of you forming a habit. And at the same time, I've been watching this Netflix series, Marie Kondo's Tidying Up and thinking about how when it takes just a few extra seconds to reach for something, you got to maybe move something out of the way or unstack it to get to the thing that you want. It makes you way less likely to use that thing. So. That's been getting the wheels turning a little bit in terms of how can you reduce the activation energy or effort required in order to do the thing you're trying to do. And it might require a lot of careful, thoughtful, upfront thinking to identify what the intervention is. And you might even make you feel kind of silly or petty, like, oh, come on, like that should make any difference. But if you can figure out how to slash a few seconds off of initiating the behavior that you'd like to initiate, well, it can be totally huge. So I encourage you to do just that. The show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash app 393. If you haven't already, I recommend you push subscribe. You'll hear from our next guest. It's Andrea Gigline, and she is talking about how do you go about asking for help and doing that thoughtfully and kindly and not being embarrassed by doing so and beat out overwhelmed by doing that. So that's what's up next. I hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.